Hey, Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Today on the podcast, we have a message from Sunday, March 11th. This is part four in our series, Fellowship of the King. And this message is entitled, No Future Without Forgiveness. We're going to be looking at how forgiveness is one of the key principles to living as people of the kingdom of God. Hey, just a quick reminder, we've got uh, connect groups going on Monday through Thursday in various parts of the North Shore. You can visit our website, northshorevineyard.org, to find directions and times for a group in your area. Feel free to drop by any of them. And also, just want to encourage you to check out the devotionals that we have posted online Monday through Friday as part of our observance of Lent. That's all on the website, but that's about all I got to say about that. Let's head to the talk. Thanks for listening. North Shore Vineyard. So, today we're going to turn to Matthew 18, and we're going to look at how Jesus' own disciples were wrestling with the aspect of forgiveness. Starting in verse 21, Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive someone who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Your Bible may even say 70 times seven. There's two ways you could kind of translate that. Either way, I don't think Jesus' point was giving us a number. It's not like, hey, Al, I've forgiven you 65 times. You only got about five more, and then you're, you're on the blacklist. Uh, <laughs> that's a good thing, right? Peter was asking a question that I think all of us tend to ask. You ever find yourself asking God, how far do I have to take this thing? You know what I mean? <laughs> how, how far can I go bef- you know, before it is sin? And Peter really was asking a question that was he probably thought he was going to get extra points from Jesus. He thought he was going to be one of those kids that, you know, is always answering the right, you know, has the right answers to questions, and Jesus was going to say, Peter, that's awesome, seven times. Uh, because the prevailing idea in that part of the world at that time, a lot of the Jewish people thought that, you know, God's forgiveness is demonstrated in some of the latter prophets. God, it often said that God will forgive an offense three times, but on the fourth time, you're in trouble. And so a lot of the, the Jewish people in that part of the world thought, you know, like three times. If you forgive somebody three times, that's, that's, that's as generous as God. And the fourth time, you write them off your list. So, so Peter, he's thinking, you know, three times, four times. How about seven times? I'm surely going to get a, a, a star from Jesus on this one. And Jesus says, not seven times, but 70 times, or even 70 times seven. What Jesus was saying was not giving us an arbitrary number <laughs> that we can keep track of. The, the point Jesus is making is that our forgiveness needs to be limitless. No. Oh. Not a big fan of limitless forgiveness. And, and Jesus illustrates this by giving us the parable of the unmerciful servant. Jesus says this, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like... Now, we're, in this, we're studying what is the kingdom of heaven is like. This is what it's like. <laughs> it's like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. 
As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Anybody know what gold's going for per ounce right now? A lot. <laughs> 1,700. Okay. 10,000 bags of gold. A lot of money, right? It was a lot of money back then. Um, he says he owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all he had be sold to repay the debt. But the servant fell on his knees before him and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. And he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. And the master called the servant in. You wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive brothers or sisters from your heart. First off, we find Jesus saying, this is a picture of the kingdom. You want to know what the kingdom of God is like? It's like this. It's a picture of forgiveness. Forgiveness is one of the fundamental things that defines the kingdom of God. It's not like the kingdoms of this world. In the kingdoms of this world, there's revenge. There's all kinds of retribution. But in the kingdom of God, one of the fundamental things is forgiveness. A few things I want to notice about this is, number one, this, this unforgiving servant, before we find he's unforgiving, we find out that he has a debt that he couldn't pay. It wasn't a debt that he could ever pay. Just to put this in perspective, uh, some of your Bibles may say 10,000 talents. That was about like 60 million denarii. A denarii would be like a dollar. We're talking the amount of money this guy owed was like what a whole province at that time would have. It'd be the whole budget of, of Covington. <laughs> so... When this guy gets on his knees and begs the master for forgiveness and says, be patient with me, I'll pay you back, he ain't got a clue. Either he's delusional or he's just trying to say something to save face. It's a debt he could never repay. The first great truth of the gospel is that we are in debt to God. Every one of us owes God a debt that, 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 that is greater than we can pay. The second... <laughs> The second great truth is that we do not have the means to pay our debt. We're all in debt, and none of us has the means to pay it back. We all are in debt to God. We're all enslaved, and God offers us a forgiveness of this debt. But we also see is that this forgiving servant, this forgiven servant would not forgive the debt owed to him. But the debt that was owed to him was actually something that could be paid. Uh, it, it was the... Bible scholars say, you know, the debt that was referred to on the second service, servant, it was, it was really like about four months' salary. So it was a big debt, but it wasn't that big. And what's he do? He has his fellow servant locked up. He chokes him first. <laughs> he, as soon as he finds him, he just goes up, starts choking the guy. Give me what you owe me. And the guy's like, have mercy on me. Be patient with me. 
It's funny that the second service says the, first, the same thing that the first guy said. Be patient with me. But he's not patient with them. He has them thrown away. You know, my years as a Christian, I've, I've seen so many people, when it comes to forgiveness, a lot of times we, we simply put it to our needing forgiveness from God. I remember as a kid going to the local Baptist church and, and every service would end with just as I am and, and uh, a call for people to, to go up front and, and say the sinner's prayer. And as, as a you know, ninth grader, I remember saying that prayer every week because I just want to make sure that I was going to heaven when I died. <laughs> but the whole emphasis was we need forgiveness from God. I need to confess my sin and I need to receive God's forgiveness. As if that was the whole point of everything Jesus did. And so a lot of times, you know, there's a joke I heard, you know, that how do you get somebody at at church to leave you alone? You go up and respond to the altar call and they'll never bother you again. (laughs) As if going up and praying that prayer and asking God's forgiveness is the whole point of Christianity. Well, that's not. And we can see in this parable that forgiveness is just the beginning. Receiving God's forgiveness is just the beginning of the story. Now we are expected to live in that place. Forgiveness is the reality we are expected to inhabit. This is how my Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from his heart. We find out that that God's forgiveness isn't conditional. He offers it to us. But if we don't live in the reality of that, we're cutting off the limb on which we sit, so to speak. As one one theologian put it, he says, While the Lord's forgiving was without required conditions, it was not without expected consequences. While God required no past, He expected a future. Fraternal love is not a condition of salvation. It is the required consequence of it. A Christian cannot win God's forgiveness, but he can lose it by refusing to extend it to a brother. If we receive God's forgiveness, but we, we fail to extend that same forgiveness to other people, then we're not living in the reality of it. it, it there, that, that's the very proof that, that, that we're not living as forgiving people. Forgiveness... We find in this parable, it mirrors the generosity of God, whose ultimate goal is to free and reconcile humanity to himself. See, what we find in this parable is that forgiveness enslaves us and other people. Have you ever been around someone? Maybe you've been someone. Maybe you're someone like this today that has unforgiveness in your heart. I've I've, I've had friends. I've been that way before. I've had family members. I shared before about my grandmother who... She she let unforgiveness get in decades before she died, and it poisoned her. It, it got to the point where she couldn't say one nice thing about anybody. Every word was filled with resentment, with fear, with hate, with anger. She was in prison. See, the thing about unforgiveness is we think when we get wounded and we keep unforgiveness, we think that if this other person gets what's coming to them, then we're going to feel better. But you know what? You're not. That other person can get everything you wish that they would get, and you ain't going to be any different. Because forgiveness, unforgiveness, 
enslaves you. It traps you. It cuts you off. A pastor on the South Shore said, said it's kind of like, you know, unforgiveness is like having a, when you, when you choose not to forgive someone, it's kind of like keeping somebody in a birdcage in your heart. You just keep them caged up, and every once in a while, you, you, you take them out of there and beat them around a little bit, and you, you put them back in. <laughs> you're, you're, you're keeping them enslaved, you think, but you're, the really, you're really the person that is enslaved yourself. When we choose unforgiveness, we lose our freedom. Unforgiveness is a sign of unthankfulness, a lack of self-awareness, and a symptom of pride. See, in a sense, when if, if one of you does me wrong and I harbor unforgiveness in my heart, in a way, I'm turning up my nose at God's grace. And we sang a lot of songs about God's tearing down the walls and, and the cross bringing, you know, God taking our sin upon us. But if I choose not to forgive you, I'm turning up my nose at what God's done for me. Secondly, I'm, I'm not living with a self-awareness. I, I start thinking that I'm better than you. <laughs> See that? When we keep unforgiveness in our hearts, we, we automatically take the moral high ground. I'm better than you. Not just I'm better than you. I'm not in need of forgiveness myself. Thirdly, it is a symptom of pride because we act as though we don't need God or His forgiveness. I don't... I don't know how, how many of you have ever... Has anybody read The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis? That's a good book. Uh, really interesting. C.S. Lewis wrote this, this kind of fictional account of the afterlife. And the way C.S. Lewis kind of imagined hell, he imagined hell like being a subdivision, an endless subdivision with homes in every direction, and most of them were empty because the people in hell can't get along with each other. <laughs> He saw that, that, that hell, he imagined a hell where you're just on a trajectory that you started in this life and you continue with the same sins that you held in this life. So people that had pride and bitterness and unforgiveness in this world, they just continue on that same journey in the afterlife and they can't get along with each other, so they keep building houses further and further apart from one another. What's interesting about C.S. Lewis's idea of hell is that he imagines heaven as a place where the, the gates of heaven are always open to anybody, even people from hell who want to come in. And so people from heaven, they, they go and try to get friends and family members and bring them up to the, to the gates of heaven. They say, come on in and, and enjoy all the great things of heaven. But they find that even in the afterlife, these people who had bitterness and unforgiveness, they're still too proud to receive even the gift of heaven when it's offered to them. Still too proud. Now, I don't really think that hell is an unending subdivision. Might be. Maybe some of you have lived there. Uh, (laughs) 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 But I do think C.S. Lewis hits on something. When we allow unforgiveness in our life, it makes our life a living hell. Because really, you know, whether hell is a, 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 a serious, you know, fire or whether it's darkness. I know one thing about hell that, that, that we see is it's a disconnection from God and from other people. And that's why I see, I think you can actually, I think everything that, that Jesus was talking about in this parable, I don't want you to push that off to the afterlife. That's the reality right now. When we choose not to forgive people, when we hold unforgiveness in our hearts, we get 
imprisoned. We get cut off. We start living in our own wounded place. We become disconnected from God and others and even from our own own hearts. So what is forgiveness? There's a lot of interesting ideas out there in the world around us about what forgiveness is. Uh, I want to hit on a few things of what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. First off, forgiveness is not a feeling, okay? Forgiveness is not some mushy little feeling like, oh, you know, I, I forgive you. It's not a feeling. It's a choice. Now, you make the choice over and over, and sometimes you'll, you'll get a good feeling that, that eventually <laughs> arises. But forgiveness is, is not a feeling. God doesn't forgive us because he feels like it. <laughs> God doesn't just look at you and forgive you because he feels like it. He, he, he forgives us because he sees what sin is doing to us. He's taken that upon himself. He certainly loves us, but he's chosen to forgive us. Secondly, forgiveness is not just tolerance. I think there's this idea that... <laughs> That, that people will tolerate one another, you know, and that, like, that's forgiveness. I'm just going to get along, you know, and I'll just tolerate the fact that you exist on planet Earth. I hate you, but I will tolerate your existence. I've got, in, in our neighborhood where we moved, there's, there's I, I figured out really quickly the, the dynamics between the neighbors, and, and I got this one neighbor right here who hates this neighbor, and every time I talk to him, and it, and it seems like he might have some good reasons. You know, he's been offended, but it's like he can't say one good thing. He's like, I hate that guy. I tell him to his face that I hate him. <laughs> but he's his neighbor, so he has to tolerate him. <laughs> That's not forgiveness. <laughs> forgiveness is not a denial of wrongdoing either. I find that there's two kinds of default ways that people go. Some people in here... It's very easy when you get offended to let someone know about it. My wife is like that in our marriage. You know, if I do something, she'll tell me. I, on the other hand, am the kind of person that if she does something to offend me, I just tuck it away in a little compartment. And I may not open it up for a couple of years. But when I do finally open it, it's, it's got a whole pile of stuff. <laughs> She's like, I never knew you felt this way. Well, yeah, I've been kind of feeling this way a long time. I just thought I'd put it to the side. Some of us are better with expressing our emotions and how we feel in the moment. Some of us aren't so much. Forgiveness is not denying that something was wrong, that you were wrong. It's not, uh, it's not a denial. Have you ever had someone confess a sin to you, confess that they've wronged you, and you just say, oh, it was nothing? You ever say that before? Oh, come on. Some of y'all are lying bunch of lies. I forgive you, though. Uh, <laughs> that's minimizing something. If, if you've really done me wrong, and I just say, oh, it was nothing, that's not forgiving you. That's just minimizing the offense. You didn't do anything to me. Sometimes we do that out of pride. Sometimes we do that out of a fear of conflict. You know, we just don't like conflict. And, and if, if I actually say, I forgive you, what am I doing? I'm admitting that you did me wrong. Sometimes we don't like to say that, do we? You know, the, Patty Griffin wrote a song, says, uh, it's hard to give 
and it's hard to get, but everybody needs a little forgiveness. It's hard to give forgiveness, but sometimes, I mean, it's hard to get forgiveness sometimes, but sometimes it's hard to give forgiveness just because in the act of forgiving, we are fixating the blame on the other person. You did do me wrong. You owe me, but I forgive you. What does God do when he's forgiving us? Well, there's one thing God doesn't do. God doesn't disregard the offense. God doesn't pretend like it didn't happen. I mean, God doesn't look down at all the sins of humanity and go, oh, it's nothing. I'm going to minimize it. No. He looked at the, the sins of humanity and he sent his only son, the most costly thing in the universe, his only son into our world to pay the penalty of the sins that we have committed, that the whole world, to absorb the evil of all time upon himself. God didn't minimize sin. He paid the biggest price for it. Forgiveness is acknowledging a wrongdoing and releasing the person from the debt owed. Forgiveness is to blame. Not to punish. I blame you, but I'm not punishing you. It is your fault. I'm not pointing at you, Reagan. <laughs> One of the <laughs> forgiveness, part of forgiveness is actually blaming someone. You did me wrong, but I release you. Secondly, Oh, wait, along those lines, forgiveness reveals the sin, it brings attention to it, and it releases the person from the blame. Secondly, I'd say that, that forgiveness is a process. You know, I'm, I'm, sometimes I'm a little leery of people who are very quick to forgive. Now, maybe they're just in a better place than I am. Uh, I saw a lady last week, there, there was a school shooting, and like the next day, you know, their kid had been killed. By, and they're like, well, we forgive the... I'm like, wow, that, I don't... Maybe, maybe that's right. But I really think forgiveness is, is a process. Yeah, you may forgive them that day, but you're probably going to have to walk that... I mean, particularly bad things that have happened to you before. And I realize probably in this room, we've got people who've been abused. You've got people who've been betrayed. There's all kinds of issues in this room. I remember years ago, I, I went through one of my first bad experiences in ministry... Uh, I was a part of a, a church that um, there's really some funky things that happen. Looking back on it, the more I find out about people who come out of cults, I think, well, it's kind of cult-like. Uh, of course, I had some issues with it. But I remember at the time when things were really starting to go bad, I was trying to walk through things as best as I could. I was seeking rec- reconciliation. I tried to meet with the pastor and, and make things right, and things just never got made right. And I remember feeling so betrayed because it wasn't just the, the situation there. It ended up turning into slander and people, you know, I was getting calls from people all over Louisiana telling me what they heard that I did. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm just trying to follow Jesus and I feel like I'm getting sucked into all these things. And I remember sitting down with, with God, you know, just trying to read my Bible and pray. And, and every morning when I would sit down, I would, I would recall these situations and these things. And I would see this guy's face. And I'm like, God, I don't want to get bitter. 
But I feel this stuff really hard right now. I'm feeling it. (laughs) God, I release this person. And the next day, I'd have to do it all over again. And the next day, I'd have to do it all over again. And the next day, and the day after that, and the day after that. You know, I I really, for me, it, it took probably at least two years before I got to a point where I began to feel a little bit better about it. Two years of releasing, of forgiving, of walking that out. Forgiveness isn't just particularly big things in your life. If you can just say, oh, I forgive you, I, 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 I kind of suspect that you really haven't forgiven. You just denied it and pushed it away. Forgiveness is a process that you have to live in continually. It's the discipline of receiving and living in God's grace and love. See, the only, you know, one reason why I love worshiping so much and why worship is a central part of this church is because we need to be exposed to the love of God. We need to be exposed to the grace of God in our lives. I need to know that God loves me unconditionally, and I need to know that He's here and that He doesn't hold anything against me. I need to reorient my life around that. Because it's only in light of that that I can extend forgiveness to other people. I need times in my life every week, probably more than every week, every few days of worshiping God and knowing that He loves me. Because how can I walk out of that and hold offenses against other people? Oh. cool (laughs) forgiveness is not forgetting a lot of times we have people say forgive and forget you know i still remember folks that have wronged me i still remember the situations but i've forgiven them maybe there will be some day and and I, i can't say the more that i forgive the more that i do forget the less it holds on to me but forgiving and is not just forgetting Forgiving does bring about healing, and it heals the memories, and it heals those places. But it's not, again, like what I want to say, it's not denying things. It's not just burying them. You do that, it's going to fester at some point. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says this, Forgiveness is the air you breathe. Forgiveness is the air in your lungs. There's only room to inhale the next lungful when you've just breathed out the previous one. There's only enough room to breathe in the next airful, lungful once you've breathed out what you had in your lungs. If you insist on withholding it, refusing to give someone else the kiss of life that they may desperately need, you won't be able to take any more in yourself and you will suffocate very quickly. That's a great picture. Forgiveness is the air that we breathe. See, the, the, the truth is, forgiveness is hard. And, and, and as a pastor, I, I feel bad even sometimes. I'm like, I know the situations that folks are going on in this church. And I know some folks in here, you have been horribly wronged. And I don't want to minimize that. And I don't want to say that, that forgiveness is just some kind of easy thing. It's probably the hardest thing you're ever going to do. But forgiving is a lot easier than not forgiving in the long run. If you hold on to an offense within you, it's a lot harder down the road. It will 
eat your lunch. There are a lot of benefits to forgiving. And if you go home and you do a little Google search on, on the, the benefits of healing, you know, I mean, the benefits that come from forgiveness, you're going to find all kinds of great things. Like from the Mayo Clinic website, I saw that they, there, there are actual studies on this. You know, you get healthier relationships, greater spiritual and psychological well-being, less anxiety, stress, and hostility, lower blood pressure. <laughs> Fewer symptoms of depression, lower risk of alcohol and substance abuse. All of these are tied to unforgiveness. And this isn't just folks like Dr. Phil coming up with this. This is actual scientific studies on people who live forgiving. It actually affects not just your spiritual well-being, but your emotional well-being and your physical well-being. There are benefits. But there's a catch. (laughs) We don't forgive people just because we benefit out of it. (laughs) If you're forgiving people just so you can live healthy, that ain't going to work. The catch is that if we try to forgive someone else in order to simply clear our own emotional overdraft, it won't work. You only get the personal spinoff as a spinoff from the genuine forgiveness you have offered. Otherwise, you are simply playing a self-centered emotional game that will backfire. If you try to love someone simply in order to be loved in return, what you are offering isn't love. And what you get back won't be love either. If you try to offer someone love just so you can get love, that's called codependency. (laughs) It ain't love. And if you go down that road, you are going to end up worse off than if you had never tried in the first place. We don't offer forgiveness so we can get the benefits. But, but I tell you, when you live as a forgiving person, you reap the benefits of it. And it touches everything in your life. I think probably the biggest objection to forgiveness is justice. What about justice? I mean, if we, if we just forgive people, isn't that letting the bad guys go? I mean, isn't it just letting them off the hook? I mean... I think that's valid. Why is forgiveness rather than retributive justice a Christian duty? You know, in our culture, revenge is celebrated, isn't it? I mean, some of my favorite movies, man, Gladiator, Braveheart, that's all about revenge, man, and it's, it's awesome. I mean, if Gladiator forgave the emperor right at the last minute, it wouldn't have been quite as cool. You know, you're kind of like going, yeah, kill him. <laughs> Revenge is celebrated as heroic in our culture. But Jesus teaches that it is more heroic to conquer revenge. It's more heroic to conquer revenge. Theologian Miroslav Volf writes this, Revenge multiplies evil. Retributive justice contains evil but forgiveness overcomes evil with good. See, think of the justice system in our world. I, I, I don't have any statistics on this, but I know more than half of the people that go to prison end up repeat offenders. Prison is okay for containing evil, but it doesn't solve evil, does it? It contains it. As long as these people are in prison, they're not robbing people, killing people, raping people, murdering people. But many of them, when they get out, they're going back to that lifestyle. It contains evil, 
but it doesn't get to the heart of it. Forgiveness overcomes evil with good. I think one of the greatest uh, examples of this in modern time comes from uh, the fall of apartheid in South Africa. Now, South Africa, the, uh, the apartheid was a system, for those of you that don't know it, of, of segregation that existed in Africa. But unlike America, you had about 20% of the population being white and 80% being black. And so you had a, a very small minority of people who were uh, horribly um, segregating and oppressing the black South Africans. And this had gone on longer than any other country in the world. And so finally, public outrage and international outrage, finally the pressure upon South Africa, it turned the tide. And in a very short amount of time, apartheid fell. Now, what we see in world history... Most of the time, the story of world history is when a large group of oppressed people are suddenly set free, what do they do to the minority who was oppressing them? <laughs> they, yeah, they, it's a bloodbath. I mean, you have a group of people that are oppressed, and finally, we're in charge. We get to make the rules. Normally, it's just horrible. The, the bloodshed, the loss of life, and we see that kind of stuff happening all over the world today. But something different happens in South Africa. There was... Folks like Desmond Tutu, who was an archbishop, Anglican bishop, South Africa, who, who led, uh, who injected this whole idea from Christianity of forgiveness into the process. Actually, he wrote a book, if you get a chance to read it, called No Future Without Forgiveness. That's where I borrowed this ingenious title this morning. But, but Desmond Tutu realized, he said, there is no future for South Africa without forgiveness. If we don't inject forgiveness into this process, into this political process, we're dead. South Africa ain't going to make it. And so you know what they came up with? They came up with this thing called the, the Truth and Reconciliation Committee. And you may have heard of that before, but here's what it was. They said, we are going to offer amnesty to anybody, white or black, who will come here and admit what they did and look their victims in the eye. All you got to do is admit what you did wrong and let your victims have a chance to tell you what they think about it. If you will submit to that process, you're free. No charges, no penalties, no jail time. Now, some people didn't want to do that. So they, they got to go to jail. But many people said, yeah. Because, see, there was whites that had done horrible things to the blacks. I mean, tortured them, killed them, oppressed them. But there was blacks who had resorted to terrorism, done horrible things to whites. And so they got these people together. All you got to do is come up and admit You fess up to what you've done and you look at the people you did it to and you give them a chance to tell you what what you did to them. You give them a chance to share what's happened in their lives. And if you do that, you walk away. You know, what's amazing in South Africa is by injecting forgiveness into this process, I mean, it, it hasn't always gone perfect, but if you look at where that country is right now compared to, to other countries that have gone through similar things, they, they're miles ahead. 
because they have seen the kingdom of God break forth into the political system. They've seen Jesus' kind of life, Jesus' kind of love break through into a system where it could have been just revenge killings or just trying to contain evil. They've actually seen that there is no future apart from forgiveness. Sounds like they're having fun back there again today. You know, when I look at the story of uh, South Africa's Truth and Reconciliation Committee, I realize that there's hope for any of us. I mean, some of these people, they faced horrible, horrible things. As bad or worse than any of us have ever experienced. But forgiveness got into that process. And healing is beginning to come as a result. I want to close today by looking at a clip that we've shown occasionally at Alpha uh, from Victor. This is the movie um, based on Victor Hugo's Less Miserables movie. Um, Les Mis. Check this out. Can't sleep here. Get away from me. Why don't you go to an inn? What do you think? Did you knock on doors and ask people? I asked. I asked everywhere. Leave me alone. You didn't ask there. Knock on that door. Do you have any food you can spare for me? Come in. Look, I'm a convict. My name is Jean Valjean. I've served 19 years hard labor. They let me out four days ago. I'm on parole. I have to go all the way to Dijon to report by Monday, or they'll send me back to prison. So here's my passport. I can't read, but I know what it says. He's very dangerous. Monsieur, you're welcome to eat with us as my guest. I'm a convict. You saw my passport. I know who you are. You're, you're going to let me inside your house. What crime did you commit? Maybe I killed someone. How do you know I'm not going to murder you? How do you know I'm not going to murder you? What's that? A joke? I suppose we'll have to trust each other. I didn't kill anyone. I'm a thief. I stole food. I stole, but I paid for it. 19 years in chains. So they let me out and they give me a yellow passport. What can I do with the yellow passport? I have to go to my parole officer in Dijon, and then what? Starve to death? <laughs> Nineteen years, and now the real punishment begins. <laughs> Men can be unjust. Men, not God. All right, whoever you are, thank you. A meal and a bed to sleep in. A real bed. 
And in the morning, I'll be a new man. Anybody there? So we'll use wooden spoons. I don't want to hear anything more about it. I'm sorry to disturb you. You caught him. But I had my eye on this man. Oh, and... thank God. I'm very angry with you, Jean Valjean. What happened to your eye, Monseigneur? Didn't he tell you he was our guest last night? Oh, yes. After we searched his knapsack and found all this silver, he claimed. <laughs> that you gave it to him. Yes. Of course I gave him the silverware. But why didn't you take the candlesticks? That was very foolish. Madame Gillot, fetch the silver candlesticks. They're worth at least 2,000 francs. Why did you leave them? Hurry. Monsieur Valjean has to get going. He's lost a lot of time. Did you forget to take them? Are you saying he told us the truth? Of course. Thank you for bringing him back. I'm very relieved. Release him. You're really letting me go? Didn't you understand the bishop? Madame Gino, offer these men some wine. They must be thirsty. Thank you. forget. Don't ever forget. You've promised to become a new man. Promise? Why are you doing this? Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I bought your soul. 
I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. I wanted to end with this clip because I think it, it shows us something about God's love. That, that just like Jean Valjean, we, we all come to God. That's our spiritual condition. We, we, we got nothing. We're in a mess. We deserve to be pressed charges, have charges pressed against us. But by the blood of Jesus, we've been bought back. We've been ransomed from evil. To live in that reality is to extend forgiveness, just like this, uh, this priest did. That, that God, as kingdom people, we can actually be people that extend forgiveness, that see transformation because we let go of our right to what is owed to us. So I'm praying in the coming days that Whatever situations each of us may be facing, God give us the grace to trust Him with the outcome. That God would give us the grace to open up our hands to release the debt that is owed to us. Why don't you stand? Lord, we thank you this morning that we don't get what we deserve. Lord, that you have shown us mercy, grace, and forgiveness. Lord, you removed a debt from us that we could never pay back. You've ransomed us from darkness, from evil, from the prison that we lived in. And you've offered us new life. God, I pray that that would be the central reality that our lives are built upon. God, how can we hold the debts of others when you haven't held the debts against us? God, I pray for everyone gathered here together today. Lord, even for those that are listening to the podcast, God, Lord, that, that you would give us the grace to let go. Lord, that you'd give us the grace to turn to you. Lord, that we could release the offenses. We could trust every one of these situations into your hands. Lord, we take our hands off. We forgive. And we commit to living not, as, not only as forgiven people, but as forgiving people. In Jesus' name, amen.